Welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, a podcast that's all about connection, sisterhood, and having conversations that matter. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring women about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. We dive deep into our journeys, the obstacles we've overcome, our dreams, what's working for us, and what isn't. We're totally honest about what we're learning, what our daily rituals look like, and what we're struggling with. We don't shy away from the hard stuff, and we really go into it all. Spirituality, personal development, magic, routines, career, friendship, relationships, sexuality, and so much more. The most powerful two words in the English language are, me too, and it's my hope that these conversations help us all feel less alone. This isn't about preachy self-help or self-improvement. It's about self-acceptance and talking about the things that matter to us. Hello, and welcome to The Girl Gang Conversations, episode 49. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 49. Today's interview is with Kylie Travers. Kylie has gone from homeless single mother of two because of domestic violence to multiple international award-winning CEO, author, speaker, and advocate for ending domestic violence and homelessness. She is passionate about helping others turn their obstacles into opportunities, change their mindsets, smash their goals, and achieve a life they never thought possible. Together, we dove deep into Kylie's journey, talked about building self-love and the tools and mindsets that allowed her to overcome such massive obstacles and take control of her life in such powerful ways. Hey, Kylie, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm really wonderful, thank you, and thank you so much for being on the show. I always love to start things off by getting to know from trying to get to know people a little bit more by hearing about a typical day in your life. And as an entrepreneur, I'm sure that's kind of a misnomer that every day has a lot of variety, but I'm curious, what are the rituals or routines that anchor your days? Yeah, every day is kind of a little bit different, but I guess the main things are are, um, I try and take my daughters to and from school every day. So I sort of get up, we all get ready. I take them to school. And then when I get home, because we walk to school, it's only 10 minutes away. um, I try and do like a bit of exercise then. If I'm feeling it, I'll get up a little bit earlier and I'll do some meditation first thing in the morning. Um, But yeah, typically my morning is sort of time with my daughters and then yeah, just a bit of exercise, making sure I eat breakfast has become more of a routine as well. I wasn't always very good at that. But um, yeah, just scheduling it everything. And, and then during school hours, I'll typically write or attend events or do interviews or whatever is required and then pick them up from school as well and hang out after school. And then after they go to bed about 7 p.m. is when I do some more work in the evening. So it's a pretty boring day, <laughs> I think. But oh, yeah, sounds busy though. Busy and pretty, um, pretty varied, which is cool. And so, I mean, one of the kind of, I guess, something that makes your story so noticeable is that you've overcome some really, really egregious obstacles and transformed your life and designed it to be this really beautiful and successful thing. And you seem really happy and that you have a life that you love now. And I'm curious, you know, without needing to go into too much detail about things that happened to you, it's really easy for us to get 
trapped in the past when horrible things happen. And I'm, I'm curious, was that part of your journey? Did you feel stuck and trapped at any point? And if so, how did you help yourself get oriented towards the, the future, but also, I guess, being in the, in the present moment as well? Yeah, I, I definitely felt stuck at times. I, um, as you mentioned, experienced it a lot. I'm pretty open about my, my experiences. So in a quite a short period of time, I left an abusive marriage. I was robbed of everything, including my underwear. I ended up homeless uh, with my daughters. They both had special needs and so needed speech therapy and things like that. Um, it was quite an intense time. And yeah, when I was going through it, because it was just sort of like one thing after the after after the other, it very much felt like one step forward and two steps backwards. And I just I felt like it didn't matter what I was doing that everything like kept throwing extra things at me. And I did wonder how I would manage to get through this. And I had a few things that I typically focus on when things are like that. And one of them is a quote that says, "I am not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become." by Carl Jung and I used to repeat that to myself sort of as a mantra over and over again and sort of focus on the fact that I have choices and whilst things aren't fantastic how they're working at the at that particular time that I sort of just held on to the hope that it would improve and that it was my choice how my life turned out and so everything that I could I did put into place so I set goals I had a vision board I continually focused on improving the life for my daughters and I that was a really big thing for me was uh, the fact that I had two daughters I couldn't just give up I couldn't um, accept like being homeless I mean I, I had two daughters there's no way that I could continue to be homeless I'd lose them as well and that would have just that would have been the worst thing possible to me I'd already lost everything else it was like I could not um, lose my daughters and so that sort of helped power me through and then um Fast forwarding to sort of last year and I ended up uh, paralyzed and had a cancer scare and that sort of thing. And I, I remember completely breaking down. I was absolutely just sobbing and collapsed on the floor. And just I just felt I couldn't physically or emotionally continue. I just I felt that life was not getting better, that I had done all these things and overcome all of that and things had started to improve. And then it was like I was slapped with another great obstacle. And um I had my, my partner at the time, um, we were relatively new to dating when I got really sick and everything like that. He um, was just incredibly supportive and he was like, no, you know, like, you know, you can get through this and you've, you've got your daughters and you've already achieved so much. And whilst it might seem, you know, that it's pretty horrendous that, you know, we will get through this. And so that time having a huge support partner helped me sort of get through it and, um, I guess, get out of that rut that I was in um, because it, it was, I'd been told by the doctors that, yeah, I wasn't going to get better. They couldn't work out what was wrong with my back and that, that was this was pretty much it, like this was going to be my life and I just, I couldn't deal with that. And so, yeah, the first time it was a really a focusing on just um, my goals and um, my daughters and my life and that sort of thing. And then the, the other time, they're the only two main times that I can really think of being really stuck. Yeah, the second time was I relied heavily on support from others to help me get through that. And when you heard that from the doctors that you weren't going to get any better and that you kind of had to accept this new life with limited mobility and being really ill, you know, what was your reaction to that? Did it did it feel like a defeat or did you kind of use it as a rallying cry to reclaim your health and, and what did that journey look like for you? I was a bit mixed. I um, 
it felt like I'd been punched in the face basically like I just I I couldn't imagine that this was acceptable they're like oh you could potentially have surgery but there's only about a 40 percent chance of it working um we can't work out why your legs keep collapsing we can't work out why you're in so much pain all the tests um don't line up with your symptoms and like the results and all this sort of stuff and I'm just like no like there has to be answers like this is not acceptable like I'm not accepting that this is how I'm going to live and I, I did for a little bit I was just like I pretty much gave up and um but then after wallowing I guess in self-pity for a little bit I was just like I, I can't I can't live like this I I can't accept that this is going to be my life I um was pushing my boyfriend away and um it placed a great strain on our relationship and you know I couldn't be the mum that I wanted to be for my for my daughters and I think it was actually just after that um became the crunch point for me and uh, my partner was offered a job in Melbourne which was uh, it's like a seven hour drive from where we were living and um, he was offered this job and it was an amazing opportunity so he moved and all of a sudden I was there alone again and um, it was just like I, I can't I can't continue with this as my life and I sort of it sounds weird but I I made the decision that it's it's just not I'm not I'm not going to be like this and I'm going to find some solutions and that sort of thing but um I think the biggest part of it was just making that decision that I just was not going to live this way and I didn't do anything majorly different in terms of uh treatment and that I did try a new physiotherapist but um yeah overall I think it was a massive mindset thing that um I had just gotten, I guess, comfortable and accepted that, well, fine, I'm just going to be um, disabled for the rest of my life. And then when I um, decided that I wasn't, it's not that I don't still occasionally now have problems. I do every now and then. Um, my left leg still gives out sometimes and I do have pain at times, but I'm not completely paralyzed like what I was. And I do think that a huge part of that was just yeah, the decision that this is not on, this is not my life. I think that's so interesting that you say that. I was thinking about a similar idea yesterday when I was writing my journal and this this idea that often we're like quote unquote quote trying to make our lives better and so we feel like we're doing all the right things in the right way and sometimes it's just not working and it feels like life just keeps putting the obstacles in our path or things aren't going the way we want and I was thinking about those times in my life where I've literally just decided that things are not going to be like this anymore, like they're going to be different. I can remember that really clearly like the last time I dated a guy who was in the pattern of the shitty guys that I always dated and I just had like this moment of clarity and was like no I'm never doing that again and I met my now husband not that long after that and so obviously haven't dated any more shitty guys and I'm was trying to figure out like I don't know where inside of us that real resolve and deciding factor comes from that feels so different than the kind of trying or the half-heartedly doing something. And even though it can feel really um, strong at the time, when we look back, we realize that there's this big difference in really deciding. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like, what does it take to truly decide things are going to change? Yeah, I think for me in my life, it's been when I have felt... um, threatened I guess like it's not not a great choice of words but when I felt that the genuinely that the lifestyle that I've wanted or um, something that I've wanted in my life is completely out of reach and it's almost like survival mode kicks in and just goes nope 
I really, really, really want that and I'm going to do whatever it is that I have to to get that. And so my mind switches from that sort of half-hearted attempt or that, oh, it would be really nice if I achieve that, but, you know, I'm not desperately hungry for it to, oh, my gosh, if I don't have that, I will die. And so it's like I have to do everything possible to do it. So, um, yeah, it's not... I feel like that's an overly positive way to look at it, but I know that it's, yeah, it's it's when it changes from being just something that would be nice to being something that's crucial for my survival in my mind, that's when it becomes that huge mindset shift that I really get active about and it's like my subconscious will start working towards everything that I want as well. And I mean, like there's lots of th- little things that um, I do in the positive I guess, positive mindset to make all these things happen as well. But I found that, yeah, when it's that real survival shift, that's when, um, yeah, my mind sort of goes into overdrive to make everything happen. And what are those kind of positive mindset tools that you like to use? Uh, So very big on goal setting. I have um, 10 steps to success with goals, like a specific method that I use um, that I wrote an article about on my website. I have a vision board. Well, it's more of a motivation wall really where I've got my vision board, I've got quotes, I've got my calendar, um, all that sort of stuff up. I have um, quotes and affirmations that I sort of live by. I have a gratitude journal, so I'll write three things that I'm grateful for every day um, in it. And yeah, those sorts of things. And with that gratitude journal, actually, I extend that across to other areas of my life and and not just focus on just the journal, but focus on any time that something sort of pops up that is um, traumatic or difficult or an obstacle um, I try to look at with an attitude of gratitude. Uh, So, for example, uh, the night that I was robbed, uh, we came home. We'd only been living in the house for a week, um, so I'd only just left my uh, abusive husband and got home and I'd been robbed of everything, including my underwear. And um, that was quite confronting. I felt violated all over again. And within... So I called the police, called my dad, spoke to dad. And then within an hour of um, coming home and being robbed, I was managed to sit down and write down a list of why I could be grateful I could be I was robbed, which sounds crazy. But when I looked at it, it was like, what sort of lessons could I learn from this? Um, what opportunities can come from this? And why was it okay? Sort of thing. And so to me, one of the big things was that my daughters and I weren't home. So we weren't actually in any danger when we were robbed and they were too young to realize what had happened. Like their rooms were untouched. So they sort of came home and went straight to their rooms and went straight to bed because it was late. So they had no idea that everything in my bedroom was missing, that I was absolutely devastated. They weren't there awake when the police came and all that sort of thing. So they were um, thankfully fairly protected from it. I had insurance. Um, I had uh, I had wanted to get rid of the clothes and things that I owned anyways because they were from my marriage and they had a lot of like bad memories attached to them but I didn't have the money to do that and now because I'd been robbed it was like oh I'm gonna be able to shop with the insurance money and you know sort of like have a clean break which is not something most people get in my situation and I ended up listing off like 10 things that I could be grateful for and things that I could learn or opportunities that might come from um, being robbed and so I sort of like I apply that to every area of my life. Whenever something that happens that um, I'm less than thrilled about, 
I will sort of look at it objectively and go, okay, well, what's the lesson here or what's an opportunity that might come from what's just happened and try to focus on that instead of focusing on the negative aspect of whatever's just happened. I think that's really powerful. So often we just kind of, you know, we hear a lot about keeping gratitude journals and we think about keeping, they're almost like happy journals, right? Like what are all the good things in our lives? But when we can see the lessons and see what good can actually come or what we can learn from the more difficult situations. I think that's where the, there's the power to be even more transformative with our gratitude practice. Absolutely. Like I I definitely think it's something that is a practice that needs to be applied to every area of our lives. I think often people will hear the gratitude diary and go, Oh yeah. Okay. Well I'll list off three things tonight that, you know, I'm happy about and I'm grateful for, but it's, it's taking it further and actually expressing gratitude throughout your life for everything and looking for that lesson not just going oh well I'm happy that this happened it's like well why what's gonna why are you happy it happened what's the purpose behind it that sort of thing yeah it's that shift from things that happen to you to things happening for you like as if everything is kind of divinely planned or synchronistically planned for you to be learning and growing in every situation and even if you don't believe in some kind of divine planning behind it, it it's just seeing how the kind of the dots of your life join up I guess and and cultivating that attitude rather than feeling like a victim absolutely and I think that's also how you sort of create your own opportunities is because if you're looking at it from a, a more positive standpoint then it's easier to see those opportunities or create those opportunities for yourself to turn that from an obstacle into something really amazing in your life So you mentioned that you had left an abusive marriage and you were temporary homeless. You had some other, you know, you were robbed. There's a lot of horrible things going on all at once. And yet you managed to be creating a vision board and writing gratitude lists. And I know a lot of people go through terrible rock bottoms and don't come through them as positively as you did. And I'm curious, you know, when or how do you think you learned this resilience and, you know, with personal development and vision boards and all of that always part of your life? Or what did your journey to that kind of self-awareness look like? Yeah, I was I was raised in a family where goals were a big thing. Uh, I can't actually remember any point in my life not having a goal. Um, and like, as I mentioned, like the gratitude, that was, that was part of my life growing up. We actually had to play this game. Um, well, I probably shouldn't call it a game, but it was a thing we had to do after dinner. Like we had to ex- say something we were grateful for and it couldn't be like in a mocking tone or anything. We had to be genuinely grateful for it. We were expected to be working towards goals. I, um, yeah, as a teenager, started collecting pictures of things that I wanted in my life well before I ever read about vision boards. Um, so a lot of these things, yeah, were always part of my life in some way. And then it wasn't until after I'd had my daughter's I think it was, um, yeah, that I read more about actual vision boards and I was really unhappy with my life and with my marriage and was sort of seeking for answers and that's when I learned a lot more about the the science behind a lot of the things that I had done and I started to put more purpose into, into these things. I put more purpose and emphasis on my vision boards and created larger goals that would actually change my life and really began to focus on the life that I wanted instead of just being unhappy in the marriage that I was in I um yes decided to take some actionable steps to create the life that I wanted and it did result in some of the most traumatic experiences of my life and it resulted in life getting much worse before it got better at all but despite 
how hard it was at that time, it was definitely worth it. And um, I do credit a lot of it, um, the resilience in that to, to my upbringing. Um, I mean, like my parents had self-help and personality and finance books around the house all the time. So as a teenager, that was the sort of thing that I was reading. Um, and yeah, they were very open about their lives and we were able to discuss things and I have amazing brothers and sisters who are all similar as well and all very, very supportive. And so I think, yeah, my, my upbringing, my family, and then all the things that I learned throughout the life and the intense experiences that I've been through have all combined to make it um, easier for me to deal with the things that I had to go through. I think it's amazing that you kind of intuitively latched onto some of those concepts before even really learning about them. And I'm curious for people who maybe didn't have that kind of progressive family upbringing, are there inner resources do you think that they could learn that would make them more resilient in difficult situations? Um, definitely. I do think that resilience is something that we, um, we learn and develop. I think the the gratitude is, is a big one. Um, I actually, um, so I had borderline personality disorder or I was diagnosed with that during my marriage. And one of the things that I did, I remember was, uh, this rubber band flicking thing. Uh, so I had, um, a lot of negative thoughts. Often I had depression in my teenage years. I have attempted suicide previously and that sort of thing. And so whilst, um, in many ways I knew all the things that I had to do, I didn't always implement them fully. Mm-hmm. until sort of ending my marriage and that sort of thing. But yet during um, seeing a psychologist for borderline personality disorder, one of the things was to wear a rubber band around my wrist and every time I had like a negative thought, I had to flick this rubber band. And um, I got tired of that pretty quickly because I did not like how my, my wrist was constantly sore because this flicking this rubber band. And it was interesting having that, that reminder um, to sort of change your mindset helped a lot more than I expected it to. Like when my psychologist first suggested that I looked at him and I just thought you're an idiot and I need to get a new psychologist like this is this is not going to help me and then it was interesting such a little process that's just a a constant reminder um, to sort of change your thought patterns a little can help just as one step to gradually build your resilience Um, because a huge part of your resilience is just it's your mindset it's it's how you think about things and how you view things and when we have a stronger, more positive mindset and are more confident within ourselves, it's a lot easier to be resilient. And actually on, on confidence, I think that's probably a big one. Um, during my teenage years and within my marriage, I had virtually no confidence. That's how I ended up in an abusive relationship and uh, really low self-esteem. And it was as my confidence grew that my marriage fell apart and got quite dangerous. It, it, um got really scary the the more confident I I became so I think that working on your confidence and your mindset as well as the the gratitude um, all helps significantly in developing that, that resilience within yourself mm, I think that's all such important factors to think about and so shifting gears a little bit I know that you've got a lot to say about setting goals and achieving goals and how important that can be and it seems like your goals and the lifestyle that you wanted for your, you and your daughters was a big part of your resilience as well. So I'm curious, what is your goal setting process like? Like, how do you go about choosing what goals you're going to go after for yourself? Yeah, so I tend to divide my life up into sections and then work out from there. So I'll travel is an important thing to me. Um, my family is um, what my career is going to be like, relationships, 
those sorts of things. So I select the areas of my life that are really important to me and that I want to change. And then um, before I even sort of start working out goals, there's a couple of things that I think everybody should do, which is work out what your core values are. So the things that um, mean the most to you that are completely immovable and they tend to determine a lot of the decisions you make. So for example, as I mentioned, my family is, um, it's my first priority always is um, my family health is another one of my core values, honesty and integrity. And these sorts of things determine what decisions I make and have also helped determine what my goals are. And so I sort of have them in the back of my mind and then yeah, divide up my life into sections and go, okay, um, I'm going to work in blocks of like 90 days to sort of change my life and I'm going to focus on this particular area of my life for the, for the next 90 days. And then I will work out what it is that I want to change in my life or what sort of goal I'm wanting to set. So clearly when um, I was homeless, um, stability and having a home and um, helping my daughters with their speech therapy and those sorts of things were all the most important things. And so my, my goals at the time focused predominantly around family and finances. Um, whereas like last year, my um, goals focused a lot on health um, because of my spine and that sort of thing. And so I yeah, work these things out. I um, write them down. I'm really specific with my goals. So I use the smart goal setting method. So um, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time bound. So instead of just saying, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds by Christmas, um, I'll get a lot more specific and you know, have what my weight is and that this is how much weight I'm going to lose. This is how I'm going to do it. And it's going to be by the 24th of December, 2016 sort of thing. So it's all written out there. And then rather than just having the goal sit there and not really do anything with it, I create like a step-by-step -step plan. I have actionable steps that I'll do every day to help me achieve my goal. And I have them written up in like permanent marker on my mirrors. I have copies in my wallet. I have copies on my phone, my screensaver, just visual reminders everywhere. And I, um, my vision board is generally created in the process of setting my goals. And so I'll have all these visual reminders. I'll have um, physical reminders. And I have it all set out. And then a big thing I have as well is to have a celebration for the goal. So I think too often we don't um, acknowledge our achievements and we tend to roll from one goal straight into the next. And it's something that I've been incredibly guilty of throughout my life where um, even with like awards that I've won and things like that, I sort of get the award, I'll go to the ceremony or whatever and then go home and there's no like, you know, celebration with my family or, or anything like that. I found it really difficult to sort of celebrate my achievements, but I think it's really important to plan out our goals, work through them, have definite timeframes, but then have some method of celebration or reward at the end of it um, to just, yeah, like sort of acknowledge what it is that we've done and taken that time to, um, I guess, reflect a little bit within ourselves and see how we feel and, um, use that as a bit of a motivation in our other goals. So like when we're struggling with other goals, we can reflect on when we've achieved something and focus on those feelings and that sort of thing to help with the, the next goal. So that's sort of how I do it. Oh, and I have an accountability partner usually. Mm. So I'll have somebody that I'm checking in with and that um, is, yeah, vested in helping me improve my life. So, yeah, that's sort of 
how I do it. That's really comprehensive. And I love that you talked about celebration. We ended up having a conversation in Girl Gang HQ, which is the Facebook group that accompanies this podcast about how many of us weren't celebrating when we were achieving something. And so we were just rolling into the next thing. And it's easy to feel like then you, you kind of have achieved nothing or you you know, you don't recognize how far you've come. Um, but a lot of people were saying they really didn't know how to celebrate their achievements. And so I ended up writing this list of 30 ways you could um, celebrate your achievements, big and small ways and silly and serious ways. And I'm curious, so what are your kind of favorite ways to celebrate the achievement of a big goal or, or a small goal? Mine tends to be with my family. I like to have like a dinner with my partner and my daughters or something like that. It tends not to be a, um, a huge celebration. Uh, I actually, funnily enough, like sat down um, not long ago and went over all my uh, achievements for the past couple of years and I've looked at it and I've just gone, that's, a, that's an awful lot. And my partner's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't really celebrate even half of these. I'm like, I did nothing for, you know, this award. I did nothing for this event. I did nothing for, you know, achieving this goal. I said, like, I viewed it so much as just that was my life and that was what was happening in my life. And um, didn't acknowledge that I had, you know, put the plans in action to achieve a, a lot of these sorts of things. Um, I just sort of credited it to being in survival mode and having to get over everything that I, I had um, facing me at the time. And so, yeah, I'm, I've been really bad at the celebrations. But, um, yeah, now I, I try to make sure that I, I do something. And typically, yeah, it's, it's a dinner with my daughters and my, my partner or my, my kids like to plan things. And so they'll plan a little surprise or whatever and they'll Aww. draw pictures and do a card and do decorations and get a cake or something. Um, yeah, so they tend to be the, the ways I like to celebrate. Like and making that. sure I go to the after parties of awards. I used to um, not do so much. Um, I'd sort of like, yeah, like go to the ceremony and then just be done with it. And now it's like I make sure I'm involved properly. Um, yeah, and that makes a bit of a difference when you're celebrating with all the people that were involved with it. So what would you say is the biggest kind of mistakes that you see your clients making when it comes to setting or achieving their goals? They're often not realistic or time-bound. Um, often I'll see people will set a goal and go, okay, um, you know, I want to lose X amount of weight, um, but they don't say when, they don't say how. Um, and the amount of weight that they want to lose if they do select a time frame is like, you know, a few pounds a week or something like that. And it's like, that's not healthy or realistic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so that, that tends to be the, the two. Um, yeah. So I think getting really, really specific and making sure that it is something that you can actually achieve, because when you set goals that are completely unachievable, um, you end up, you can end up being coming quite discouraged and feeling like you're never achieving anything. And I think there's a fine balance between um, biting off more that you can chew and chewing like crazy, and actually realizing when, you know, chewing like crazy, I'm just going to choke. Like <laughs> that's not something that I should be aiming for. I should um, break it down a little bit and do sort of sub goals and yeah, work on getting getting there that way instead of just going for the whole hog straight up if that makes sense i think that's such um, a good point especially because there's so much out there and this is not to say anything bad about any coaches or anyone in no. particular but there's so much out there about kind of like if you're not setting these huge kind of impressive sounding goals that you're being blocked by your limiting beliefs or that you're getting in your own way or that you're not dreaming big enough and i think there's lots to say about like busting through our blocks and really dreaming 
about the life that we really want. But then if we also bite off more than we can chew, like you said, it can it can really choke us or like prevent us from setting and achieving goals in the future. So I think it's like a great balance to strike between believing that what you want is possible and dreaming big, but also, you know, finding the mini goals and the steps that it's going to take to get there. So that's a really, really good point. And it feels like it's, those are really easy mistakes to correct once you've identified them. Oh, absolutely. Often too, when people um, really think about it, that big, massive, crazy goal often isn't actually the goal that they personally want. Mm -hmm. It's a goal that they sort of feel is expected by either society or their family, or, you know, they sort of might've said it at one point that that was the goal that they wanted, but then quickly realized that no, they don't, but because they already put it out there, they feel like people are watching them and they have to do it now. It's like, we do so much based on other people's expectations of ourselves that when we step back more often than not most people's goals aren't crazy massive goals but they are important to them and they will be life-changing to them and I think that's people need to focus on like what is it that they really want to achieve in their life how can they do that and to focus on themselves instead of um, what they feel other people think they should be doing Oh, I absolutely had that happen recently when you know I knew I really wanted freedom in my life and in my career and I started to think that there was like really specific ways and really specific type of online business that I needed to build in order to to have that freedom that I was looking for and the kind of financial stability and I kind of got close to making that all happen and had this kind of meltdown of realizing like wait I'm like totally buying into all of this online hype and totally working towards someone else's goals rather than creating space and having what I wanted was freedom to be able to do the creative projects that I wanted to do and have this really specific lifestyle that I want to have. Instead, I was creating this online business that took over my entire life and really wasn't creating the life that I wanted, but I'd gotten really sucked into that being the kind of goal that everyone wanted to achieve right now. So I think that's really important about bringing it back to you and what it is that you really want and your values. Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it happens to all of us at some point. And interestingly enough, um, only recently, uh, my partner and I were having a discussion and I realized that this was the first time in my life that I had been fully supported by someone and had the option to go, is this really what I want to be doing? Um, because I launched a company in 2014 that does social media marketing and that sort of thing. I started buying more websites. I um, have done really well with like blogging and social media and that but it wasn't um, something that I really wanted to be pursuing, but I was pursuing it because I was in that area. I had the clients, I had all that sort of thing that was a way to help support my daughters. And so, so I did it. And then earlier this year, it was like, wow, I don't, I don't have to do any of that anymore. And that's not actually where my main friends lie. And so I started selling everything off and um, sold some of my websites. And um, I'm actually right now just in the middle of finalizing the sale of pretty much all of it to just focus purely on the things that I enjoy doing, which is the the public speaking and the one-on-one mentoring. And um, I'm going to have a whole bunch of resources coming out about um, and resilience and sort of like creative book coming out um, later. And it was just, it was a huge realization because it's just like, you know, I talk all the time about creating a life that you love and all this sort of stuff. And it was like, I loved my life. 
but I was going after these goals and I was going after this business because that's what I'd been doing and that's what everybody sort of expected of me and I had skills in that area so it was it was easy but it wasn't it wasn't what I actually personally wanted to be doing it was just that that was I guess the path that I'd gone down because it was um it was easier in a way and because I was on my own and I had I had to do something so I couldn't just sit there nobody else was gonna dig my daughters and I out of the hole that we were in it was up to me yeah it was amazing sort of being in that position where it's just like oh I had this freedom to think about myself and about exactly what it is that I want and I have um, the support to do that and the space to do that and yeah it's been um, quite free uh, this year to be able to take some time out to think about myself and to yeah get rid of things that um, get rid of some goals even that just were no longer serving me. So I just wanted to move into talking a little bit about self-love and self-care. And I know a tool that was really powerful and transformative for you, and it gets talked about a lot, but I think that more of us suggest that other people do it than actually do it. And that's writing a list of 100 things that you love about yourself, which can be kind of hard and scary. And I'm curious, what was what was it that inspired you to do this exercise? Did you find it hard? And why do you think it's so important? Uh, I found it extremely hard. I uh, started doing it when I was still married. Uh, I was just, I just hated myself. Like there was nothing that I liked about myself. I felt fat. I felt ugly. Um, it didn't help that I got berated by him a lot. And um, I wasn't in a good relationship, but it was like I'd had two kids. I'd put on a lot of weight with my kids and I felt like I wasn't achieving anything in my life. And then I realized that I need to, I needed to change my mindset and that I needed to find really liked about myself and that I loved about myself and um, to focus on them when I started, I guess, going down a rabbit hole of uh, berating myself. And I started with some really simple, simple ones. So I wrote further actually that I love my eyebrows and I love my eyelashes and it compliments all the time on them and it's like yeah that's pretty awesome because they're just mine and so that was that was one that was just like yes you know that's something that I love about myself and that's not you know dictated by my weight or anything like they they're shaped awesome and then the other was my eyelashes because my eyelashes are um mascara on I often get asked um who does my extensions like my eyelashes are fairly long and they curl up naturally I never have to use one of the eyelashes curly thingies whatever they're called but it's at the same time too if I put my glasses on right away to putting on mascara I will streak my glasses mascara <laughs> if I blink so like I have to be really really careful with that and we'll dry anything so, yeah that's like two really it's like vain and simple things because that's what that I liked about myself or thought was worthwhile um and so I sort of went about it I sat there for ages trying to think of things and I tried to think of compliments people gave me and um yeah I found it really difficult so I ended up turning to some people that I trusted and asked them what um, they thought my skills were, what my talents were, or that sort of thing. And I started taking notes of things that people said about me and accepting compliments that people gave me and thanking them for the compliments and then writing them down later. And so the bulk of my list actually came from external resources, but I realized some patterns through doing it that um, comments down there was things that are complimented on a regular basis from different people and so it's like well you know a lot of people are seeing this in me so I'll put that on my list because it, it must be true and sometimes at, at the, with this list I didn't actually believe what it was that I was writing down but um having it on the list and having things to that if that makes sense so like compliments from other people and proof from outside of me that these are 
limit things really helped me to create the whole list and then when I reflected on it it was like no this is this is right this isn't just me you know blowing smoke up my butt it's legitimate like these are things that are good about me and that I should love about myself and it was not an overnight process and then I kept copies of it everywhere like there was um copy in my wallet my wallet got really fat at one point I had like pictures of my you know, vision board, my goals, my um, savings plan, my list of things that I loved about myself. Like it was just like everything that I could cram in there was crammed <laughs> in there. But um, yeah, like I needed it though because my self-esteem was so bad that um, yeah, I could be out somewhere and, you know, I might trip or something and then I would just be like, man, I'm so clumsy. And so having those visual reminders around me or lists that I could refer to sort of helped change that mind. So something that I ask everyone, and it could be totally frivolous or really, really serious, but what's one thing you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better? Oh. It sounds awful, but probably myself. Um, I, even though I've spent like the last few years like improving my life and improving myself and that sort of thing, I didn't, I didn't really focus on my myself and my needs and my wants and my self-care and that sort of thing and so now it's like it's the first time in my life I can remember where I consistently have a monthly um, appointment at the beauty salon where I consistently work out uh, most days uh, where if I feel like it I'll take a nap in the middle of the day Um, and that sort of thing it's all I'm more focused on doing things that I enjoy and that are about me and I guess yeah like I've almost become like obsessed with making sure that I'm happy but as a result um, my daughters are happier we have so much more quality time together my relationship is fantastic and it's not that I'm obsessed with myself in a vain way but I am now obsessed I guess with making sure that um, yeah I make myself a priority and I don't just become this like slave I guess to everybody else yeah I love that answer that's amazing so just as we wrap up for anyone who feels drawn to how can people work with you or support your work yeah so um I occasionally take on -on one-on-one mentoring clients or otherwise I'm all across social media my website is uh kyliatravis.com.au I'm um, Kylie Travis on all social media I've got my um my books coming out um late like late this year it should be out um so yeah like anybody can feel free to reach out to me anyway or read anything that I've written or um yeah just google me and find out more about me or whatever and yeah I'm pretty open I I respond to everything so if people email me or contact me on social media um they'll be talking to me um so yeah those are the probably the best ways amazing I'll make sure all of those links are in the show note as well and thank you so much Kylie for being on the show today awesome thanks for you can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 49. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference in helping me make big things happen with this podcast and reach more people who can benefit from these conversations. You can write whatever you want in the review, so why not let me know what you're obsessed with lately or who you'd like me to interview next? Next week's interview is with Katie Dalebout. Through her blog, podcasts, videos, and courses, Katie curates inspired wisdom that guides people to go deep and sift through the thoughts clouding their minds. 
She's the author of an Amazon best-selling book, Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling. She helps people develop a positive image of their bodies by embracing their creativity and personality outside of their physicality, and she's on a mission to share journaling tools that invoke deeper authenticity and self-awareness. We'll be talking about her journey of using journaling in her recovering from an eating disorder, why she thinks journaling is such a powerful practice for personal development, what her daily journaling practice looks like, how to get the most out of journaling, and some of her favorite journaling tools that she shares in her book. Until then, grab your girl gang and have a conversation that matters.